Hey everyone, John here. You may have noticed that it's not Thursday, but I'm already here in your feed. Well, I wanted to say a genuine thank you to everyone who has reached out to me since the first episode dropped. The amount of support I've received for this podcast has really made me feel special, and I appreciate every message, whether from close friends and family or people I've never interacted with before this went live. This has been a truly special time for me. As a matter of fact, I'm so touched by how everyone has responded, and I'm so eager to keep the momentum going, that I'm going to release two episodes a week for the next few weeks. You'll still get your Thursday fix of Raw Safari, but you'll also get a bonus episode on Tuesday as well. It's my little way of saying thanks. If you're enjoying these episodes, please tell your friends and family members about the pod, and make sure you check out my merch at rossafari.redbubble.com and patreon.com slash rossafari for ways to support the show. Okay, here's the episode. Lay on the ground, throw a full-out temper tantrum, and I bet you'll get a sticker. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my raw safari. Greetings, friends. Welcome to the latest episode of the Rossafari Podcast. It's so good to have you back and to be back with you all. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that I have a Patreon account set up now. If you go to patreon.com slash Rossafari, you can become a monthly supporter of this podcast. Even a small monthly commitment gets you access to some cool behind-the-scenes stuff and bonus information, and I promise that I'll always try to make it worth your while if you throw some support my way. This week's episode is a really fun chat with Melinda Kamavangsa. Melinda is a keeper at the Nashville Zoo at Grasmere, a really beautiful and unique zoo in Nashville, Tennessee. Melinda has a really cool position at the zoo, as she is a keeper on the vet team and is also a quarantine keeper. Melinda will tell you exactly what that means in the episode, but it does mean that she works with basically every animal in the zoo at some point. Suffice to say, she has a lot of amazing stories. So many, in fact, that this is going to be a two-part episode. This week starts off with a good discussion about what it takes to become a zookeeper, so if you're someone who is wondering if this might be a field you'd like to work in, this will be a particularly good episode for you. It also features some really fun and interesting information about binturongs, one of my favorite animals, but one that many of you may never have heard of. This interview was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, and as such was done entirely over Zoom. There are definitely going to be a few times where you hear the audio quality drop because of that, but it's not too bad, and the information offered is more than worth it. Okay, here's my interview with Melinda Kamavansa. First question that I had is a pretty, pretty important one, which is, how do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> so my last name is Kamavangza. Okay. Um, it really is just exactly how it looks. It just looks very intimidating. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's very intimidating. So my husband is uh, Laotian. So that's the nationality of that name there. Wow. It obviously is not mine. No. <laughs> Originally. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite fit the name, but yeah, it's Kamavangza. Okay, great. So you are at Nashville Zoo. Yeah. And I 
love the Nashville Zoo. I have only made it there twice. What an amazing facility. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love to hear that. Yes, I had such an amazing visit uh, that I, I ended up rerouting another trip so that I could get there again. And, and it was so cool. Uh, yeah, we love to hear that. Yeah, you know, your typical zoo visitor who just wants to see animals and be done. That kind of zoo visitor isn't always as happy with our zoo as, you know, say like San Diego, which of course has been around for a hundred plus years. And um, what's unique about our zoo is that we've only been around at the Nashville Zoo at Grasmere a little over 20 years. Wow. Um, so when you look at the history of some of these zoos, you know, we don't have quite the collection in quantity that a lot of zoos have. Um, but I feel like everything that we have is so well done. And that's what makes me really proud to work there. So I'm always glad that other people appreciate it as well. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I noticed. The exhibits there, some of them are bonkers. They are yeah. really, really beautiful. Yeah, we go, we go all out. <laughs> the, the tiger area in particular. Whew. Yeah, to me, you you don't feel like you're in the middle of Nashville when you're in that area, you know, especially in that Indian Village area of the Bears. Uh, you feel like you're in another country. I mean, it's so well done that the theming of the flowers and the pathways and everything is just so well done that again, it's it, that's what makes me so proud to work there. Is I can you know my lunch break sometimes just want to go walk around and see stuff, and it's like, man, I work here. This is really cool. <laughs> um, but they really they just put everything into an exhibit. It's not like, eh, well, we could get some bears. Let's throw up some chain link and just put them in there. We got some space. Let's just throw them in. If they're, if they're going to build an exhibit, it's going to be a whole experience, you know, especially like with bears, there's guinea pigs, there's a poodoo, there's all these other little things around. Uh, one thing, unfortunately, that you don't get to see in the bear exhibit is that in our women's restroom, we have a cotton top tamarind exhibit. What? Seriously? Um, which is hysterical. That's amazing. That we even have exhibits in the restrooms. Yes, we have <laughs> cotton top tamarind exhibit in the women's restroom. The men do get something though, because at the uh, entrance, there's Boland's pythons, which are really cool species of snake that are in the men's restrooms at the entrance. So it's, it's a little bit for everybody. And I think that's something they're continuing to, or planning to continue uh, as they build more exhibits. They're hoping to keep that exhibits in restrooms theme going, which will be pretty funny because a lot of people get a kick out of that. So it's pretty fun. I will tell you, I have been to over 130 zoos and aquariums, and I have never seen an exhibit in a restaurant. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much why our director did it. He, you know, it's, it's something different, something different to see. So next time you visit, be sure to head up that entrance restroom, men's restroom up there and see the Bolins pythons. They're beautiful. That is so cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Cool. So before we talk more about Nashville, I know that you worked at a couple places. Yeah. You have two places that really jumped out to me. One of which was that you were at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. Yes. And I'm so curious what a teaching zoo is and how can I go to there? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you can totally visit. So that's kind of one of my favorite things to talk about. You know, as a zookeeper or just working at the zoo, I get asked all the time, like, how did you get this job? Like, how did you get to do this? Or where did you start? Or what is your background in? And Santa Fe Teaching Zoo is pretty much where it all started for me. So they have actually a zoo on their campus. So it's a functioning college. They have many different degrees. Actually, I think they have a really great nursing program there as well. So, I mean, it's a college that is known for a lot of different degrees, but they also, on the very corner of their campus, they have a zoo. Uh, so it's a fully functioning zoo. You can go visit, you can go pay admission, go get to walk around the zoo. Um, and there aren't paid zookeepers there. The zookeepers are the students. So every two semesters, they get a new class of students in. So I started back in the spring, actually it was the summer semester, I think. So it was like right at May in 2007. 
I started there and I started with about 60 other people who all thought animals were really cool and we all wanted to kind of get into the zookeeping field. And our first semester was just learning, well, I say learning the basics, but that's actually what they call your first semester is your basic semester. Uh, So you're learning, just kind of getting a feel for the zoo, the layout. Uh, You get a little bit of an introduction into zoos and aquariums and how things work and the history and all that. And you work on a lot of projects around the zoo, cutting brows for different areas and all these different things that kind of keep the zoo running, but aren't quite hands-on with the animals yet. Uh, kind of just trying to make sure that, hey, everybody's here for the right reasons. We're kind of weeding a couple people out. Uh, and then your next four semesters there, you're working in a different area around the zoo. So because it is students working with species that they probably have never worked with before, I had never worked with a zoo. Uh, most of the students there had never worked in a zoo. So, you know, you're not learning with tigers and gorillas and giraffes because that's the dangerous species. But We did have small species of cats like ocelots and caracals, and we had some smaller primates. We had a lot of lemurs. Uh, We had white-handed gibbons. Uh, So we had gibbons. We had um, capuchins, so kind of, and squirrel monkeys, so like smaller species of primates. If you can, you know, learn how to take care of these smaller species, you can extrapolate that and kind of use that information you've learned that in the future you can work with gorillas, but, you know, it's a lot safer to learn with these smaller species. Uh, but they had, they had venomous snakes. They had all different types of reptiles. So I got to work with tarantulas and, uh, they had some legless lizards, which were probably one of my favorites of their herp species because we did some education there with, with, uh, little classrooms or birthday parties and that sort of thing. And legless lizards were one of my favorite of the education animals to bring out because people were like, Oh, it's a snake. It's gross. I'm like, actually, this isn't a snake. It's a lizard without legs and it like blows their minds. So that was really fun to talk about, you know, different species that a lot of people haven't ever heard of. But that's what I really liked is that I got the variety of experiences and different animals I got to work with. Growing up, I was super shy. Uh, I actually took a speech class and I would stand in that classroom and I would be holding my paper and just literally like shaking so that you could even hear the paper rattling and my face would turn red and my voice would get shaky and I would be so nervous. Uh, And then what's funny is that, you know, four years after that, I was doing shows in front of 500 people in an amphitheater at the National Zoo and absolutely loving it. Uh, And I think what, what got me from terrified talking in front of people to being able to do shows in front of 500 people was being at Santa Fe and learning that I loved talking to people about animals. I had never gotten to really to people about something that I loved before. Um, So that's what I think was really cool about Santa Fe is that I got the chance to experience everything. I worked with primates. I worked with hoofstock. I worked with carnivores. I worked with reptiles. I worked with birds. worked with everything across the board. And a lot of us came in and were like, yeah, I want to work with carnivores. Carnivores are my favorite or, you know, whatever it was. We had this conception of what we wanted to be, what kind of keeper we wanted to be. And a lot of us left going, hey, I was totally wrong. This other species or this other area is really cool. Uh, Something else that's really cool that we did there was that all of us spent half a semester in the commissary. uh, So making diets for the animals. And because of that, I have a huge respect for our commissary keepers because that job is not easy. Um, every single animal needs that diet prepared a different way and everything has to be different. You know, we had mouse birds, which are teeny tiny little species of bird, and you had to like microscopically chop their diets up. I have 
huge respect for commissary keepers everywhere because that is not an easy job and keepers can be very particular about how they want their diets prepared for their animals. Um, so it was really cool. You know, like I said, it was just such a well-rounded experience getting to work with not only species of all different taxa, but also the education aspect and the commissary aspect were really cool. So I have huge respect for that place. It was such a great experience. That is really awesome. I love that so much. Now I'm noticing a trend here. Santa Fe, Nashville. Yeah. Where was the uh, Luby Bat Conservancy? Yeah. So I actually did an internship there while I was at Santa Fe. Uh, it's just outside of Gainesville. Uh, it's a really cool piece of property. Um, it's Luby Bat Conservancy, and it was actually owned by Lewis Bacardi way back when. Okay. And yes, the Lewis Bacardi that's on the bottle of rum. That's probably in all of our liquor cabinets if you have one. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there's a bat on that bottle. I have not. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's a bat on the bottle of Bacardi rum. And it's because Lewis Bacardi was huge into bats. Um, so it's been several years, obviously, since I've been at that facility. And I don't remember all the details of exactly when a transition from this property to Luby Bat Conservancy happened. Um, but it was a really cool uh, piece of property to work on. And eventually, somehow, it came, became the transition from Lewis Bacardi's collection of animals to this Bat Conservancy. Um, but he had a big passion for the big flying foxes, as they're called, uh, or the big um, big bats that you know a lot of people are obviously very terrified of, but I think are absolutely adorable and look like puppy dogs with wings flying foxes are incredible they yeah. are so amazing yeah and and they get such a bad reputation people are like oh bats are gross and they carry disease and it's like okay first of all everything carries disease mm-hmm. i think we've established that by this point <laughs> um but they're just so cool and like the things they do for us i always like to tell people um it's kind of again ironic since we were just talking about bacardi rum but, you know, a lot of people love their margaritas and you would not have your margaritas with tequila if it weren't for flying foxes. So they're such fantastic pollinators. And that's just one example of something they pollinate is the plants that make tequila. Uh, but they pollinate tons and tons of things that we really rely on. So a lot of people hate on bats, but really they are some of the coolest animals out there, in my opinion. They really are. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, visited the Columbus Zoo, but they have an exhibit. I have. Okay, their flying fox exhibit is is amazing, and I don't know how you could walk away from it and not think they're the cutest thing ever because they're right. just they're face to face right there, and it's amazing. And they're so cool. I think so many people just already have this pre- preconceived notion that they hate bats and they're gross that they don't even give them a chance to look at them. Because I swear, if you look them in the eyes and just look at their little puppy dog faces, you would fall in love because yep. they are some of the coolest animals, in my opinion. I agree. No, they're literally, you're right. They're flying puppy dogs. When you look at those faces, they you are. just melt. Yeah, it's so they're cute. so cute. <laughs> and they're so smart too. That's what's cool is that they train those animals just like anything else, which is really cool. They target train most of their flying foxes at Luby, which they have gosh, I don't even know. They probably have within the hundreds of, of individuals there. And a lot of them are target trained. And like wow. people think bats are these gross, disgusting little things that just fly in the night. I'm like, no, they're very intelligent, adorable creatures. <laughs> That's awesome. So it sounds to me though, that even, even if we're not at the national zoo, we did, we did Nashville, we did Gainesville, we did um, Santa Fe. It, it sounds like a bit of a uh, transient lifestyle if you want to at least get into the zoo industry. And I'm wondering, um, and, and again, I'm a, I'm a touring musician, so it, it is a thing that I understand and I'm not you right. know, knocking <laughs> it all, but I'm, I'm curious uh, if you could speak about that at all and what effect that has on your personal life. Yeah. 
being in the zoo field, um, especially early on, um, I'm pretty fortunate. I was raised in the Nashville area and I grew up going to the Nashville zoo. I grew up in this area and I knew I wanted to be here. Uh, so I went away for school, but then I ended up coming back and I consider myself pretty lucky that I ended up working my way in. I kind of started not even in the animal field at the Nashville zoo, trying to get a job into the zoo and kind of just worked my way in, kept my foot in the door and kept pushing that door open until I got to where I wanted to be. Uh, so I've been at the zoo for over 10 years now, and I'm very glad. Um, but a lot of people, maybe 20% of us, I, that might be even a high estimate, maybe 20% of us are from the Nashville area. Most are from different parts of the country. Uh, you've got to think about the fact that, you know, there's a lot of people who grow up probably loving zoos, but they maybe only go on a field trip because they might not grow up within two or three or more hours of one. So that alone is going to force them to move away from home to go get a job in the field that they want to be in. Uh, and then also there aren't a ton of jobs at even every zoo. So, you know, Tennessee has Knoxville, Chattanooga, Memphis, and Nashville. You're going to have to pick one of those areas. But even within that, I mean, we have probably around 70 people within our animal care department. Um, so you're thinking 70 jobs within the entire Nashville area. That's right. not very many. So a lot of times... You know, if we don't have an opening, and especially if you're going to be picky about the job you want, if you know, I want to be a carnivore keeper, I want to be a bird keeper, that limits you even more. Um, so A, sometimes you just have to be either really patient and wait it out and hope that when an opportunity comes along, you're going to be the person they pick because they might not. There might be somebody who comes along with more experience or they might have an intern that they're hoping to get in. You know, there's always that option that if you're being trying to be patient for one specific position at one specific zoo, you might not get it, uh, or it might be a very long time before they look your way. Uh, so you either have to have a lot of patience, uh, you got to be willing to travel, or you kind of got to take some jobs that maybe aren't exactly what you want, but you know it's going to pay off in the long run. Um, I would say that most of us zookeepers have had internships, uh, which is not a paid internship in the zoo field by any means. You are free labor at that point, but it's it's your foot in the door. A lot of times that is a good way to kind of show a team, hey, I know what I'm doing. And, and, and I would be an asset if you guys ever get an opening. Yeah, the zoo field is, is an interesting one that I read an article a while back talking about how there's more professional athletes in the country than there are paid zookeepers. Seriously? That's incredible. Yeah. And that's looking at accredited institutions. Um, obviously, there's tons of different zoos all across the spectrum that some of those you might not want to work for. Mm -hmm. um, we've all seen documentaries. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like there's some of those that, that while it might be a job at a zoo, it might not be a job I would be wanting to take. Right. Um, so when you're looking at actual AZA accredited institutions and the jobs that you can get working with animals, it's pretty limited. Um, so like I said, you got to be patient. You got to be willing to travel or willing to just take a job that might not be your exact favorite, um, but it, it will pay off in the long run. That's kind of kind of what I ended up doing in Nashville, so it worked out. Well, congrats on that. That's really cool. I know <laughs> that uh, being driven to me is is such a, a big thing. Um, you know, in the music industry, it's it's the same thing. There are a bajillion oh, sure. musicians out there. There are uh, you know millions of drummers, and I'm like, hey, pay me lots of money to go do this thing <laughs> that everyone else wants to do. Right. 
that tons of people want to do. Yeah. And you, you have to work on it. Yeah. You really have to work on, and you're right. I've, I've, I've played gigs that I would, whew, no, I don't even, I don't even remember some of them. They were so, uh, oh, so not my, to, not to my liking, but you know, made good <laughs> connections and, and met good people and, you know, it, yeah, that's right. It was worth it in the long run. Yeah. It's part of the, part of the journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Um, I actually, I think that's one thing, like not to be too philosophical, but I think that one of the reasons that so many people seem to be so unhappy is that uh, they don't get to pursue their passion or they they didn't pursue their passion. Oh, for sure. And as somebody who who gets to do what I'm passionate about and, I, and you're the same way, um, I think there's a joy there that just whatever else is going on in your life, at least you've got that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, it's really interesting. You know, zookeeping field does not, pay well. And that's not why any of us zookeepers are in this job. And that's why it's always comical when people talk about how like zookeepers are, you know, horrible people and we just want to abuse animals. It's like, listen, we don't get paid enough. The only reason, (laughs) the only reason we are here is because we love what we do. And like that doesn't pay the bills, but you find ways to make it work. I've had four jobs at one point to be able to do what I do. And most of us are the same. Most of the keepers at the National Zoo either have multiple jobs. And I, I mean, multiple, some of them have three or four jobs, uh, are married or have financial support from their parents or have a roommate. And that's, there's, it, that's the options, you know, you, it, it doesn't pay well, but, but all of us love what we do and we wouldn't, we wouldn't change that. And if we would, if you get to that point where you're like, Hey, it's not really worth it anymore, then you leave. Um, and that's kind of probably one of the biggest reasons people do leave the field is because, I love what I do, but I've got to make more money. Um, so I'm pretty fortunate that I am married because that helps me out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago. They were asking what I did. And I, you know, it's always kind of interesting to watch their reaction when you say, oh, I'm a zookeeper. And they're like, you're what? I'm like, yeah, I work at the Nashville Zoo. And, and so we talked for probably 20 minutes and he sits back and he looks and he goes, you know what I think is really cool? I can tell how much you love your job just by how you talk about it. What's sad is that that's really rare for people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, they go to work, they get a paycheck, and they go home, and they enjoy their life after work. But I love my job, and, and part of my job is getting other people to care about my job. Mm-hmm. And if I can talk to someone who's never been to the zoo, and they come and visit, and then they become a member, and that, that membership sale helps animals in the wild, or they come to the zoo, and they watch a show, and they learn about um, palm oil, or they learn about any one of these aspects that, that could help animals out in the wild. then then I feel like it's so worth it for me to just talk about my job anytime I get the opportunity. So. Hey everyone. I just wanted to interrupt the interview for a second here because Melinda mentions palm oil and I want to make sure everyone listening knows exactly what she's talking about. Palm oil has, in recent years, become a major cause of rainforest deforestation, leading to the habitat destruction of many incredible species. The Sumatran orangutan is almost extinct directly because of habitat loss due to the increase in demand for palm oil around the globe, especially in the United States, where trans fats have become something many people try to avoid. I won't go into a ton of detail here, but I highly recommend googling palm oil sustainability to learn more about this threat to animals and the simple steps you can take to avoid using poorly sourced palm oil. The Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado offers an app called Sustainable Palm Oil Shopping, which you can download and use to make sure the products you are using with palm oil in them come from acceptable, sustainable sources. Now, back to the interview. Um, I I am 
very fortunate. One thing that does drive me a little crazy every once in a while is that people be like, oh, you're just so lucky. You get to have such a fun job. It's not necessarily that I'm lucky. I am very persistent and I'm dedicated and I didn't take no for an answer. Um, and so I got to where I wanted to be. Um, but yeah, I, I am very fortunate to get to do something that I, that I actually love doing. So um, I, I wish everyone could have the same feeling about their job that I do about mine. Uh, yes, that is that is exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm the same way. Touring is very hard. It's very stressful. It's there's a lot that happens. Yeah. Um, but there are definite negatives, but I love what I do. And I'm the same way. Anytime anybody says you're so lucky, right. I'm like, do you know what I put into this? And you know, this isn't a music podcast, <laughs> right. so I'm not gonna, gonna go into a ton of detail. <laughs> right. But just suffice <laughs> to say that there were a lot of sacrifices, a lot of time. Yeah. I even I always like to joke, um, my high school sweetheart was very good friends with my parents because she'd have to hang out with them while I went and practiced sometimes. (laughs) And and this is a high school boy, like, you know, but I was driven (laughs) and, um, yeah, yeah, no. So I, I very much, I respect that. What is your current title and what species are you working with right now? Uh, so my current title is hospital keeper or quarantine keeper. I used to have to explain what quarantine was. And I don't think I'll ever have to explain that ever again. Uh, so, you know, if something cool came out of 2020, it's the fact that I won't have to explain what being a quarantine keeper means uh, because we all know that term very well now. So yeah, I take care of all the new animals as they come in, which is really cool. Uh, it's not a position that our zoo used to have, but we, you know, like I said, we have the national zoo has grown quite a bit over the last several years. So we do have, uh, there's two of us in my position and we take care of everything new when it comes in just to make sure it's healthy before we stick it in with the rest of our collection. My favorite example used to be with our lorikeets. We have about 70 lorikeets that live in our uh, aviary that you can actually walk through and feed them if you want to. It's really fun. Uh, so say we get a new lorikeet in, we just throw him in there with all of his chirpy little lorikeet friends. And then about two weeks later, we found out that that lorikeet was sick. Well, guess what? He's made friends with 70 other lorikeets and they're probably all sick now, or at least a good percentage of them. So now instead of treating one animal, we're going to have to treat close to 70 or 70 birds. Uh, So it's a lot easier for us to just monitor one animal, make sure they're healthy. Uh, We'll do a routine or a quarantine exam before they leave quarantine, which depending on how much information we have from the previous institution may include blood work. Uh, We might do a full exam under anesthesia, or it might just be a quick grab, take a look, listen, and you're good. They might need vaccines. They might not. So it's a little different for every animal. Uh, We also collect routine fecals to make sure that they're not carrying any parasites. Once all that's clear, then they get to go with their friends. So that period can be anywhere between 30 to 90 days, depending on the species and depending where they came from. Uh, Some species like birds and snakes can hide their illnesses really well. So we want to take a longer look at those guys before we stick them in with the collection. Uh, So that's kind of my primary role um, right now. Um, So that's what's cool is that I'm always taking care of different animals. Nice. Uh, if I were to talk to you two months down the road, it's going to be a completely different answer. So I have, I've worked with in this role, I've worked with tigers. I worked with our male rhino. I've worked with itty bitty little frogs that are super endangered. I worked with everything in between. I raised a bunch of flamingos that you can now see walking around the zoo that are part of our ambassador animal collection. Uh, so that's what I like is the variety. Um, right now I have some swans, which are really fun. I haven't worked with swans in, uh, about 
12 years, I guess. Um, and they are very sassy. So it's a fun species to get to work with again. And I have some more flamingos for our ambassador animal collection. So again, I worked with some flamingos last summer and I'm working with them again this summer, which is fun. And I have some more guinea pigs for our uh, guinea pig exhibit that's there in the Andean Bear Plaza. Nice. Um, so we're getting some some new genetics in to breed into our population there um, because those guys do breed quick. So um, a lot of the genetics are, you know, a little closer. So we're getting some more males in to to keep our, our population nice and healthy there. Um, but that's, like I said, what's cool is that that's what I have today and two weeks, it would be totally different. So I love the variety that my job holds in that aspect. And then the other half of my job is helping out with all of our medical procedures. Um, so sometimes when people ask what animals I work with at the zoo, my answer is all of them. You know, technically we see all of the animals for routine and then of course for emergencies, but all of our animals are on a preventative care schedule, just like your cats and dogs are. Uh, they get vaccines you know, depending on how often they need it. Some animals might only need that every three years. Some need it every year. Again, it depends on the age, the species, and a lot of different factors, how easy it might be to get that animal, how risky an anesthesia might be for that specific individual. And so we'll see animals somewhere between one and three years for the most part uh, for routine exams. And again, sometimes that is, they're coming up to us. We're doing a full exam under anesthesia. And then some of those animals are trained to accept vaccines. So their keepers do a lot of work with them to allow them to stand at the bars or stand at um, the side of their enclosure uh, where the keepers can interact with them through the mesh and they will inject them, give them their vaccines that way, or they can even draw blood on some of our animals that way, uh, which is really great because then we aren't having to put them under anesthesia, which is fine if we need to, but if we can do a procedure without anesthesia, that's great because it's that much less risk. Uh, so it's really great. Uh, that a lot of our animals are trained that way. So, so we see everybody. And then of course, you know, those emergencies pop up of, oh, they're limping or they've got, you know, an abrasion or something crazy going on. They're, you know, just not acting like themselves. That's kind of the most common thing that we see is just, well, they're just off. Um, and a lot of times we might go down and we might not really see what the keepers are talking about. You have to think about the fact that these keepers spend 40 hours a week or more with their animals and, and they know it. They know if that animal is not acting right, something's a little bit off um, because these keepers spend more time with their animals than they do their, their families sometimes. Sure. And, and that's a, the job of a keeper is to just pay extra close attention to those animals so that when something is off, because again, some of these species can take longer to hide illness. I give um, really mad props to our lorikeet keepers like I said, they have 70 plus birds that they take care of and they know each and every one of those birds and they will call us and they'll say, Hey, Jason's just acting a little bit off today. Uh, he's a little more fluffed and he's not hanging out where he usually hangs out. They're like, <laughs> okay. He's like hanging in a different spot. Like, you know, on my days off, sometimes I'm in the bed, but sometimes I decide to move to the couch, you know, like, okay, does that really mean anything? Okay. We'll get hands on him. We'll see what's going on. We'll draw blood and like, it's obvious that something is off from the blood work. They are good, man. They are so good. So we've gotten to where when I first joined the team, I was kind of skeptical every time they'd call and be like, oh, he's just not hanging out where he normally does, or he's just a little bit off. And I'm like, really? You're just looking for something. No, they are not. They are phenomenal keepers. And, and they're catching it very early on because birds can hide their illness so well, but they're catching it so early on that, that they really are saving those birds' lives by being so observant. So it's really, it's really cool being in the vet department, getting to watch these other keepers 
make our lives easier, uh, you know, with the training they do or just the great observation skills they have. So instead of calling us when a bird is on its last leg, they're calling us at the very beginning of an illness and we're actually able to help. So uh, the phenomenal keepers that we have really make our jobs that much easier, which is really cool. That's amazing. That is such a great story. The only uh, lorikeet story I have is that I've I've routinely been pooped on by them when I have gone through. <laughs> it's supposed to be good luck. Yeah, well, I'm a very lucky person then. So <laughs> that does tend to happen. I think yeah. our lorikeet keepers have stickers that they'll give to people that are like, "I got pooped on by a lorikeet today," or something really funny. Because you know, of course, like some kids could almost have a near meltdown by like getting pooped on by a bird, which all of us right. keepers are like, eh, "Okay." whatever. <laughs> I mean, I never melted down when it happened, but I would really <laughs> like one of those stickers. That's incredible. <laughs> next time, next time, just let them know, Hey, I earned a sticker. <laughs> next time I'll just start having a meltdown and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just lay on the ground, throw a full out timber tantrum, and I bet you'll get a sticker. <laughs> Amazing. So you helped with the raising of the flamingos last summer and this summer. Yeah. I think we might've met. Because I was there last summer when the flamingos were starting to come out. Yeah. When they were like still young. Yeah, that is very funny. Um, really cool getting to take those guys out for the first time out on the, the pathways. But since they were going to be ambassador flamingos, we started um, pretty early with them as soon as they were like, you know, walking well and able to be without a heat lamp or a heat source. Uh, we started taking them outside. So that's kind of all they've ever known. So now when they're out and about with people, they're like, oh, it's just another Tuesday, you know, nothing yeah. special to them. So that was a lot of fun. So I'm glad you got to see those guys when they were small because they were absolutely adorable. They were incredible. <laughs> um, I, I I have gone in the last couple of years from thinking that flamingos are the most overrated animal for whatever reason to just <laughs> falling in love with them. I've gotten to feed flamingos and then meet the oh. chicks and stuff. And it just, yeah. uh, they're really cool. They're really cool. They are really cool. And I, I would say I kind of, I might also agree with you on that sentiment that I, I think I might've been one of those people who's like, I mean, they're cool, I guess. And like a pink bird, that's pretty cool. But like, they're on everything. Like if you want to buy a flamingo towel or flamingo shoes or flamingo swim shorts or uh, anything, you can buy anything with a flamingo on it. Uh, and so I, I, they were one that I was like, eh, they're maybe kind of overhyped, but I agree with you. Now they kind of have my heart and I love them dearly. That's awesome. <laughs> now that I've, I've been a mother to, to several flamingos, so I feel like I have <laughs> to love them, right? <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. So then you have also been around for the Binturong kits, haven't you? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. So... I love those guys. Is that one of your favorites? Okay, so yes. And and I have to tell you a quick story, and then I want to hear all about this. Okay. So I am addicted to binturongs, I think would be a, a fair word. I have I have gotten to meet one once and I um my my they are one of my favorite species. So when I went to a cheetah encounter at the Bronx Zoo, uh, we got to meet a sloth and a cheetah, but we were in their ambassador building. And just kind of off to the side was a sleeping binturong like in its oh. enclosure. And I I was so in love. And it was all the way across <laughs> the room. But at the end of the encounter, when they were like, okay, get out. They said it nicely, but you know, time's up. <laughs> I ran over and just sat down and was like staring at this binturong. And I didn't realize it, but I was waiting so long that the room cleared. Oops. <laughs> and finally, there was kind of a cough behind me. And you're like, oh. Yeah. And, and I turn around and I go, oh. 
I am so sorry. I just love binturongs so much. They are one of my favorite species. And all five of the, the education staff that were there started chuckling. And one girl goes, I've, I've worked here for, for years and I have never heard those words said before. Aww. And I was like, oh, come on. Binturongs are amazing. They are. And I found that outside of Cincinnati, because uh, the University of Cincinnati are the Bearcats. And right. They, but outside yes. of the Cincy Zoo, even zoos with, with binturongs, like the, the Virginia Zoo and stuff, people will just walk right by. And I think they're the most incredible animal. Yeah, they are. They're special. They're very special animals. So we have the um, the Palauan binturongs, and I actually got to work with our two ambassador species. So I don't think I mentioned this earlier. The first seven years that I was at the zoo, I worked on our ambassador animal team. Okay. Uh, so that's where I did the shows and everything. And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door and got, and I loved that job. Uh, but after seven years, I kind of just was ready for a little something different. So that's why I jumped over to the vet team. But when I was on the ambassador animal team, we had two program venturongs that were born at the zoo and that I got to work with over there. Their names are Wilbur and Willow. <laughs> so Wilbur was born first. He's actually, I think, exactly four months older because his birthday is November 4th. And then Willow's birthday, I believe, was March 4th. Uh, so they're just, a, they're pretty close in age. Uh, and I got to work with both of those guys and uh, we got them our vet team raises them early on. And then once they get nice and stable, uh, then they transitioned over to our team. Uh, unfortunately, both of our parent sets of binturongs don't do great at raising their own babies. Uh, so that means that they end up becoming ambassador animals, which is really cool because a lot of people don't know what a binturong is and they'll have to look it up or I'll have to look it up for them. Some people have heard of a bear cat, uh, but I also sometimes hesitate to use that term because they obviously are not a bear and are not a cat. But it's really cool to be able to have those guys as ambassador animals because, like I said, most people haven't heard of them. And they're in just as much danger as the rhino or the giraffe or any of those mm -hmm. big name animals that everyone's heard of. So that's why I really like to talk about those lesser known species because there's species that, of course, that I don't even know about. You know, there's species that so many people don't know about that are also in danger uh, so I think that's what's so important about raising awareness for conservation is just making people aware that there are tons of species out there that need our help. Just because you hear about those big name guys needing our help doesn't mean that other animals aren't hurting also. Um, so Wilbur and Willow do a really great job of raising awareness for their species. They're in shows. They'll take them to outreaches, uh, to schools and different programs. If you want to have a party and want to have animals at it, you know, you can pay and have animals brought to the, the party. And they can't guarantee you a certain animal because sometimes animals wake up and they're like, nope, I'm not going to work today. And we can't make them do that. Uh, but you can request animals. So um, Wilbur and Willow will sometimes go to fancy parties and <laughs> hang out with guests. And they're very stinky. Uh, so I always laugh when these people have these gorgeous homes, you know, <laughs> very elaborate. And then we walk in with our big stinky binturong and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like he's very, very stinky. Well, and for people listening who don't know what a binturong is, what do they smell like? Yeah. So some people say they smell like buttered popcorn. Um, I get more of that like Frito corn chip type smell, mm -hmm. but I can, I can kind of see the, the popcorn thing. Um, but it's, it's their urine that mm -hmm. smells that way. Um, so if you walk away from interacting with a binturong and you smell like popcorn or Fritos, it's because their urine is on you. So um, <laughs> just enjoy that. <laughs> it's a little parting gift that a binturong will always give you. They're very, very stinky. And they're just so fluffy and furry that, you know, animals are 
kind of gross sometimes. And sometimes uh-huh. what they do when they pee is they roll in it. And, uh, and then if they're on their, your shoulders, then they're rubbing it all over you. And that's how they mark their areas and their territories. And if you're in their territory, then you're part of their territory and you're going to smell like them. So uh, you can make yourself feel better by saying it smells like popcorn if you want to, but <laughs> it's still urine. <laughs> I would be very happy to have a Bintron pee on me. I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, it's really funny. But yeah, so I've gotten to uh, raise a few with the vet team as well, which is, they're just really, really cool little animals. And they're, they grow up so fast. You know, we're used to, we raise a lot of clouded leopards at the Nashville Zoo. Uh, and they take a, a while to get onto solid foods and they take a while to like, be more stable with their footing and we don't trust them with like higher boxes or perching or anything for a while. Cause they're pretty clumsy man. Bentrongs like they come out as open. They're ready to do stuff. They're eating food within just a couple weeks. Like they're, they're ready to go. So they're, they're playing much earlier on than a lot of animals are. So they're a lot of fun. When I was there last summer, I got to show up while they were still bottle feeding oh, yeah. the, the babies. And um, the the vet or the keeper, whoever it was that was doing the bottle feeding at the time, when I was there taking pictures for Ross Safari's uh, Instagram account, um, literally held one up to me, oh. like Lion King style. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I'm oh. not crying. I'm I'm very calmly <laughs> yeah, taking just, a picture. What are you talking uh, about? Very, yeah. It's Tennessee allergies. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the pollen. <laughs> I did think it was interesting. So because I love bintrongs, I have sought them out at various zoos. And I never really got, I'm with you on the, the Cheeto Frito smell thing. Mm-hmm. With the exception of when I went to the Brookfield Zoo in Chicago, they have an incredible bintrong exhibit there. Oh, and, cool. and they have, it's really unique. And when I walked up to it, for the first time after having met Bintrongs, after having, you know, stood at their cages for hours. Yeah. As I walked up, I was like, buttered popcorn. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it was so funny because I've always wanted to smell it. And I've always thought, eh, kind of. And and then literally yeah. I was looking around like, I was like, are they scenting this? Like, to, right. they're not. It's just the Bintrongs. I guess they're Bintrongs pee a lot there. I don't know. That's really funny. Yeah, really interesting. I, I suddenly got it. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, am I remembering correctly that one of the, the kits that you guys had has gone off to Cincinnati and is, yeah. is the famous Lucille? Uh-huh. Yep. So she's like their little mascot since yep. they've got the Bearcats as their their mascot for their school there. So, yep, that's one of our little babies got sent up there. Amazing. We have uh We have Bintrongs uh, probably... I would say probably between eight and 10 institutions at this point that we've sent babies to. Can I have one? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Wild animals do not make good pets. I want to make that perfectly Correct. clear. <laughs> However, if you said yes, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> I am addicted to bintrongs. They're so great. That's funny. Well, I, I support that that obsession because that's a really cool animal to, yeah. to pick as a, as a favorite. I won't say the favorite. As right. a favorite. A favorite. Yes, <laughs> a favorite. <laughs> Binturongs, I love them so much, and I love all the stories Melinda is dropping during this interview. I'll be back with the second part of the interview next week, and it is really full of animal stories. I know that many of you, like me, are huge Red Panda fans, and the next episode starts out with us geeking out about the pandas at the Nashville Zoo at Grasmere, so make sure you check out that episode as well. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. 
You can find Rasafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rasafari, on the web at Rasafari.com, or email me directly at rasafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.